You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm not Carl Stebbings, I'm Matt Smith. Uh, he's not here this week, which is slightly scary, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but joining me is the legend that is. Uh, I'm not going to come up with any silly puns, because I leave that to Carlos, frankly. Uh, but it's always a pleasure to have my mate, the legend that is, Neville Bounds. Hello, Neville, how are you? Oh, thanks, Matt. Yeah, great to see you again. And uh, yeah, looking forward to a great show. It's been quite a week this week. Very busy. Lots of stuff going on. And um, yeah, you might notice behind me, I've just changed my backdrop slightly, which is normally a lovely British Airways (laughs) A380. Uh, But I'm going to talk more about that later in the show. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little scared about this. I have been threatened. I have been warned there might be a rant in its in its uh, infancy uh, <laughs> about to appear. So this could be very, very terrifying. So uh, unfortunately, we don't have uh, Carlos. We also don't have the legend that is Armando. He has uh, given his apologies. He's off doing some kind of, is it Reno Air Racing or something? The Reno Air Race, yeah. yeah. Apparently that's more interesting than doing this rubbish. Uh, he's probably Good right, on. to be fair. Uh, so uh, as we are two men down, uh, uh, we thought what we were going to have to do, and two of them being quite you know important members of the family, shall we say, um, we've had to draft in some extra special subs. So joining us this week, uh, he's... Uh, He's had a busy time of it lately, although not so much now because he's officially retired. It gives me great pleasure to welcome the legend that is Sir Captain of Nick. Oh, hi, guys. Um, What a pleasure it is to be on your show again. Uh, Although I happen to know exactly where Armando and Carlos are. Have you not seen the UK Plane Talking podcast? Uh, Sorry, what now? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the UK Plane Talking Podcast, they're putting out a show right now. Are I'm they? sorry, I think you might find that uh, they've disappeared off to make their own. Right, okay. Well, that's that's obviously very troubling news for us all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> great. Uh, well, uh, hopefully we can be, win those people back who have gone over to the dark side then. If you might have to check their contracts. Yeah, yes, indeed. I shall look into that forthwith and without haste. Uh, but uh, to hopefully win a few of, of the listeners back, we do have... Uh, well, I, I don't really know how to d- describe it. He, he has... He is the head of probably one of the biggest and best, in my opinion, aviation podcasts in the entire world. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Captain Jeff. Hello there. Where Where is Carlos and uh, Armando? I, they told me I was going to be the, the their first guest on their oh, guest. Goodness sake. Have you two been colluding? Oh, Seriously. No. <laughs> so no, I must uh, have uh, dialed in the wrong. Show. I'm sorry. Right. Well, I, I'm very grateful. No, no, no. You stay where you're right where you are. <laughs> don't, don't you go anywhere. Uh, no. Hello. Great to be here. Fantastic. So, uh, yes. So, uh, as I say, we've rolled in a couple of uh, super subs to, uh, to to fill in the void, if you like, of uh, two big members of the family being met, uh, away. Uh, you can tell I'm not in- used to introducing the show, can't you? <laughs> it's quite funny. Yeah, Nev, you're in charge next time. This is all a bit weird. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yes. So, a little bit of housekeeping before we get uh, into uh, proceedings. It is just gone five past seven on Friday, the 7th of June, 2019. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're going to um, say thank you to a few people uh, who have been helping us keep the show on the air. 
We are. And uh, yes, these are the people that have contributed to the Patreon this month. And we are very grateful for your support. They are Adam Spink, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Eric Graves, Evan Shue, Graham Haley, Jacob Darlington-Brown, Jeff Ward, Jonathan Warner, Jordan Rose, Liz Piper, Masha, Matt Caton, Matt Donemeyer, Myla, Owen, Neil Lanwarn, Nicholas Hewitt, Nico Rager, uh, Philip Labe, Ray Williams, Reuben Wells, Ryan Harper, Stuart Backer, Stephanie Plummer, Steve Andress, Stuart Black. And the people that are paid by the regular PayPal method are Richard Adams, Jenny Parkinson and Tony S. And we are very grateful for all of your contributions. We could not do the show without you. Absolutely not. And if you would like to become a Patreon or if you would like to make a donation, take yourselves to our website, www.plaintalkinguk.com. On that front page there, you will find all the ways that you can either interact with the show or make a donation. Uh, you can even, if uh, money, like me, money's a bit tight, you can even, if you want to, uh, do your shopping using, a, if you're an Amazon, Amazon customer, there's a link on our website. Uh, and if you do your shopping through that link, we get a little ad advertising referral fee. Uh, so you can contribute towards the show without even having to uh, put your hand in your pocket unless you yeah, unless you're buying something for yourself obviously so um, yeah that that is um, I'm really bad at this aren't I I'm so sorry ladies and gentlemen normal service will be resumed next week I promise <laughs> don't worry about it mate you're brilliant uh, although I now that I'm no longer employed anymore uh, I'm afraid you're gonna have to take me off that list sorry uh, indeed actually also uh, wor worth mentioning um, <laughs> Uh, also worth mentioning, by the way, that uh, we did have a donation uh, very recently from uh, the, the legend that is Philip Davis, by the way. Sorry, that was uh, uh, missed in the email that went across to Nev, so that's my fault. Apologies for that. Thank you, uh, Philip Davis, for your very kind, generous donation as well. So, uh, I think uh, before I get into yet more trouble, um, I think what we should do is uh, get on with the show. How do we feel about that, chaps? Yes, that's what I did to me. Indeed. Okay, so if everyone's ready then, let's go. Sorry. humble apologies to our vision mixer today if I'd have actually given him a bit more notice that we were going to do that it might have been a bit <laughs> slicker sorry mate anyway uh, the first story this week is on simpleflying.com and obviously as uh, I'm reading the story of course it is a Ryanair story and this headline is Ryanair now publishes their monthly CO2 statistics Ryanair is set to uh, is set to uh, is sorry you bleh, yep Ryanair is to set a European Union first by becoming the first airline to release monthly CO2 statistics. The airline hopes to challenge the industry while leading by example. If uh, all airlines begin to publish monthly CO2 statistics, it could have an effect on the industry's carbon footprint. Airlines could feel ashamed uh, for having higher carbon uh, dioxide emissions, which could encourage them to cut underperforming routes in order to boost their scores.
score. Ryanair claims that they have the lowest CO2 emissions per passenger per kilometre of any EU airline. Uh, Ryanair currently delivers an average of CO2 emission of 66 grams per passenger per kilometre. This is calculated by dividing the carrier's total carbon dioxide output by the total distance flown by the airline and the number of passengers carried. In fact, while 66 grams per passenger seems impressive, it's not good enough for Ryanair. Uh, the low-cost Irish carrier claims uh, to cut this uh, uh, sorry, aims to cut this to just 60 grams per person per kilometre. They will achieve this with their new Boeing 737 MAX aircraft, of which they are expecting 210 by 2024. Uh, a game of load factors, uh, part of the reason that Ryanair's carbon emissions per passenger per kilometre are so low is due to the carrier's impressive load factors. Load factor is essentially the number of seats filled per plane. For Ryanair, this is an impressive 96 percent. This means that 96 percent of the seats flown by the airline were occupied. Full service airlines tend to have lower load factors than low cost carriers. In fact, the Lufthansa Group's load factor for January stands at just 76.4 percent. This is far below what Ryanair reported for the same month at 91 percent. Uh, I mean, I could go on, but uh, you get the gist here, basically. So, I mean, those, those are impressive numbers. I mean, we, we've mentioned the load factors before. I mean, that they are impressive numbers that Ryanair do. I know they're not everybody's favourite airline, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive stuff. What do you reckon? Uh, the 737 MAX numbers are particularly low right now. <laughs> uh, yes, right. yes, I suspect that may be the case. Uh, have, we got, have we got any idea when they think <coughs> they're gonna, th these, uh, these are going to be in the air, the, the MAXs yet? Well, they've said officially uh, sometime in August. However, they're thinking, or I heard a quote from somebody, uh, I think the CEO of Emirates, that said that uh, he'd be surprised if it were before the end of the year. Really? Mm. Gosh. Okay. Yes. Mm. Oh, that'll and, give them uh, time they... to fix all those flap tracks, won't it? <laughs> or, or was that? They were the other marks. I don't know, actually. Oh, dear. <laughs> I, I don't know what you mean. Uh, Nev, anything... I'm not allowed to say this sort of thing on uh, airline pilots. Oh, right. <laughs> so you're saving it all for us. Uh, Nev, have you got anything to add to that? Well, they, they were saying as well in the press, I think it was last week, they'd, uh, they'd quite like to have a look at some of the 77-800 uh, um, uh, NG series whilst they're at it as well. So I think there might be some other uh, factory recalls, as they call them in the automotive world, mm. um, that's going on there. So, uh, mm. um, but um, yeah, obviously they they cannot afford to get this wrong, can they? So they, mm. it, you know, if it takes a little bit longer, then it takes a bit longer. But yeah, of course, so. in doing that, the cost associated with it is mm. huge, as you can imagine. I mean, I presume that perhaps I'm being a bit naive here. We all know that I don't know a lot about this. Um, I, I, I'm assuming that uh, the people who are waiting for their various Max aircraft are being I mean, are they being compensated for this inconvenience? I mean, I, I don't really understand how it works. Well, I'm sure there's a, a, a discussion going on with uh, with Boeing mm -hmm. um, because obviously they will have sold seats on these as well. And a lot yeah. of uh, operators brought them in for the summer season yeah. specifically. Obviously, the, the amount of flights operated between, you know, uh, the start of July and September, uh, generally speaking, a lot higher. So people have, uh, airlines have brought them in specifically for, for that for that season. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's ongoing, I think. Right. And, um, <laughs> every week there's a, a new bit of a nugget of news that comes out, yeah. but nothing concrete yet. 
Well, there we are on that bombshell. I think we should perhaps move on to the next story. I assume that's with you, is it, Ev? It is. My, it's my favourite aviation website. It's The Sun. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a BA story, of course. And it says, sickening. British Airways passenger disgusted to find business class seat covered in vomit during flight. And it's just given a blanket to cover it up. Oh, uh, it says that um, a British Airways passenger was left horrified to find his seat covered in what appeared to be vomit during a flight whilst travelling from London Heathrow. Uh, passenger Dave Gildea had upgraded to business class for the flight to Seattle when he made the discovery during the flight. Could I just point out, I would have thought he would have discovered that before the flight, yes. uh, not during the flight. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go with it uh, <laughs> as it is. Um, the 38-year-old unnecessary age reference yes. uh, told sun online travel i had upgraded to business class at the airport in london heathrow and was assigned seats 64k i thought it was seat singular but there you go uh, i didn't notice anything until about two hours into the british airways flight when i popped down <clears throat> excuse me at the footstool so i could get some <laughs> sleep and saw the vomit on the seat Yum. it was also splashed on the wall behind oh. And the floor below. Hope everyone's had their, their dinner, yes. uh, which I then noticed. However, he uh, then said that he told the cabin crew about it, and they asked him if he'd been sick on the seat himself. <gasps> uh, Dave, who works as a VP at a Silicon Valley software company, continued, I went to the cabin crew, and the attendant's first response was, was this here when you boarded? But it was clear it was dried in. He didn't offer a seat change or an apology. Uh, so I asked for a blanket to cover it up so I could put my feet down. Of course, as I slept, I moved around on the blanket. And so I woke up with dried vomit on oh. my feet. Okay. It was pretty disgusting. With the price I paid for the ticket, I was shocked. Well, so what price would you have liked to pay? To, to right. I mean, to be honest, like if, to if it was a seat with, um, with vomit on it, I'd, I'd like it to be free, personally. But uh, it's, it's, it's a fair point. I, I'd uh, risk it that, if it was um, free. <laughs> yeah, but he's a, a BA Silver member. He was surprised Ooh. about the lack of response. Mm. Having heard nothing about the incident in two weeks, apart from being told that they were looking into it. Right. Uh, whilst he admitted that BA is often very good service and the rest of the flight was fine, he said how poor the... Uh, how poor the incident was being handled uh, dave said i tend to travel a lot this was a very poor experience and the handling of the experience at the time and since then has been where the problem is it's frustrating how they take your money in a second for a ticket which is how it works as far as i'm aware uh, but when it's a problem it takes weeks but isn't that just like you know a tax demand um that, that's how it <laughs> not, works not they take the money first yeah and it'll take several months to, to get it yeah. refunded so i mean there is a picture which i'm just uh, which owen has just very quickly put up there and he's going to make Ooh. it go away again because that's just Ooh, disgusting yeah. uh but uh, yeah no. so there we are there, there are some pictures that are associated with this story but uh, we did we say we're just a very quick showing obviously because uh concerned that some people might be eating their tea if they're watching the just show just whilst we're talking about <laughs> Just whilst we're talking about BA, and this is not in the script because oh, it's a bit of in the bra brace yourselves, everyone. <laughs> oh no! Tonight, uh, BA, I think you need to have a word with yourselves. You have sold lots of very nice uh, priced flights on the seven four seven for some local flying from Heathrow to Manchester. Newcastle and Glasgow so very short routes so between 45 minutes and an hour uh, 
flying time. Brilliant. And that gives people a chance to fly on the jumbo that wouldn't normally be able to do so or to afford to do so on transatlantic or Asia Pacific routes. So that's a very nice gesture and a very nice thing to do. And in fact, one of our listeners, Ron, has booked himself and his son on a 747, which is brilliant. Today, they have sent emails to uh, presumably most passengers to say, oh, we're just going to substitute the aircraft for something else, like an A319 or an A320. And talk about a PR fail. I mean, it doesn't even begin to come close, does it, really? So uh, in protest of this, uh, normally you'd see behind me uh, an A380 of British Airways, which I'm very proud to display, uh, but I've had to cover it up. Uh, with my pillowcase because I feel so strongly about it Um, and it's not a big deal for a lot of people I understand but honestly talk about how to get it wrong I mean BA you have done it this time and I just do not understand whether it's some environmentalist lark going on I don't know but uh, I, I just think if you're going to offer those tickets almost at any price it doesn't really matter what the price is and you've got clients booked on the flights especially the fact it was a 747 on the short haul sectors which is you know extremely unusual um then you really ought to honor that and i think to send uh, emails to your customers to say that you've substituted the flights for uh, the usual short haul fleet is ridiculous and of course the trouble is people who will, will have booked those flights so they'll get full refunds but what they won't get refunds for is the hotels that they might have stayed at at, at either yeah. end of the sector for example and, and, and transport to and from which they may have already booked or whatever it is so well, no, also- i just think you know. I mean, also, Nev, presumably people have, have chosen this because, as you say, I mean, the 747 is an iconic aircraft. There's no two ways about it. It's an aircraft mm. that people have an awful lot of love for. And, you know, they are beginning to reach the end. Certainly the passenger variants are beginning to reach the end of their, um, you know, serviceable life, for want of a better word. You know, so it won't be... Uh, it won't be long before they aren't um, carrying passengers anymore. I know they're very popular, certainly for for you know haulage. Um, but I mean, presumably, well, I think the thing is that the, the reason they did it was because it was to celebrate their centenary year. So you yeah. know, fantastic stuff, and they've gone to all the effort of painting uh, four aircraft, isn't it, in in retro yes. colours? So that's fantastic. Uh, some seven four sevens and an A three nineteen, brilliant, mm. and everybody loves that. And then they offer this, uh, these short haul sectors uh, on the jumbos. Brilliant, great idea, you know. And then they go and uh, pull the offer. And I think that's just yeah. a bit poor, guys. Well, presumably, as you say, because people have chosen chosen those particular routes because of the aircraft that was going to be doing it. Completely. That's the yeah. only reason they chose it. Yeah. yeah. And the specific flight numbers, too. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's that's really disappointing, I think. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Jeff, do you, do you have any uh, sort of opinion on this? <laughs> Well, I agree with you. Um, they they fell short, um, and that's the whole reason why people wanted to fly on these special flights was because of the airplane. You know, it's yeah pretty sad. Is is that how they advertised the flights? Nev was it down as a seven forty seven experience yeah. flight, or was it just it was? very much? No, very much so. They they said they're going to run these on the short haul sectors um, from Heathrow to Manchester, uh, Glasgow, and Newcastle. Those those three uh, regional flights, and they were going to be on a seven four seven. And the ticket prices were you know sensible or, or comparable with the normal short haul fleet. So a lot of people booked them. Um, and uh, just this afternoon, late this afternoon, there was rumours coming out. Oh, they're, they're going to pull the flights, and they they have, and they've been writing to 
presumably all of the people that have been um, uh, on uh, booked on those sectors on on that specific aircraft, saying, "Oh, we're we're going to swap it to well, presumably a three one uh, three one nine or three twenty. Um, so, which is not really the point because you can do that any day of the week, can't you? Really, but uh, to have a short haul sector on a seven four seven as an experience because you might not be able to fly afford to fly, you know, long haul. Uh, absolutely brilliant and, and a great PR win for BA and then they go and do this so I just find it extraordinary really yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a mess isn't it there's, there's, there's no two ways about it it's definitely a mess Anyway, end of rant. Okay, right. Uh, okay. For the uh, moment. Anyway. Right, okay. Uh, I haven't got access to my show notes for reasons I won't go into, Nev. So who's next? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, well, uh, I'm glad you asked me that question because uh, it's. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, next, it's, uh, it's Captain Jeff who's ah. going to uh, talk to us about. Um, well, it's an article on the CNN website. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Are okay. we still uh, recording? <laughs> um, you'll you'll understand the yeah. little joke here in a second. Why allowing pilots to sleep in the cockpit might improve airline safety. And uh, as uh, Neb mentioned from CNN, airline pilots are often exhausted. An extreme example happened in 2008 when a pilot and a co-pilot both fell asleep at the controls, missing their landing in Hawaii, earning pilots' license suspensions as well as getting fired. More recently, overtired pilots came very close to landing on top of another airplane at San Francisco International Airport in 2017. Uh, with endless beaches and, oh, that's an ad I'm reading. Okay, it's not <laughs> uncommon. <laughs> wow. I, what I had to do is I had to uh, make this into a more readable version because it was just making my computer CPU go nuts Goodness. with all the... CRAP they put in these darn websites. <laughs> uh, Carlos chooses them specially for that purpose. I, I, I must. Yeah. <laughs> like I had to take my fire extinguisher and spray it on my on my computer. That's, that's an unusual um, method of cooling, sir. Well, yeah. <laughs> Probably won't last as long now. <laughs> no, no. Uh, let's see. It's not uncommon for a pilot for a major commercial airline to, for instance, start work in Florida at 5 p.m. With her first flight departing an hour later for a five-hour trip across the country, arriving in California just about 8 p.m. local time, then she might get a short break and fly a 90-minute short hop flight to another California city. When she lands from this second flight, she has spent six and a half hours of the last nine in the cockpit. She has also three time zones from where she started work, and her body thinks it's 2 a.m. There is no doubt she's tired, and she's lucky not to have encountered any schedule adjustments for aircraft maintenance or weather delays. Uh, the airline industry and the government agency that regulates it, the Federal Aviation Administration, at least here, uh, have taken steps to reduce pilot fatigue, but many pilots and others remain worried that two pilots are required to remain awake and alert for the entire flight, though one or both may be dealing with symptoms of fatigue. One possible suggestion is letting pilots take brief naps in the cockpit, as researchers of consumer opinions about the airline industry, we've found that the American public is wary of this idea, but may feel better about it once they've heard an explanation of how it actually makes their flights safer. Shall I continue? Okay. <laughs> if, if you like, I mean, if, I, if we've reached the, uh, I mean, let's 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 leave the story there for the moment. What do you what do you think um, about this, Jeff? What what is your 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 gut feeling? 
Well, I have anecdotal experience with uh, sleeping in the cockpit, not uh, for my present airline uh, that I've been flying for for the last 30 years because uh, we are not allowed to sleep in the cockpit. But when I was in the Air Force flying long-haul flights on the C-141B, a, uh, a, what would you call it, a, a, a long-range air transport aircraft, four-engine air uh, transport craft, and uh, we... Uh, had um, pilot, co-pilot, and flight engineer positions, and we didn't get up to get up out of our seat, you know, for like rest breaks, like a lot of the long haul airlines do now. And so we were required to stay in our seats the entire flight. And these could be long flights, you know, eight, ten hour long flights or more. And so it was actually uh, allowed uh, in the military airlift command when I was in the Air Force in the eighties, and it worked out just fine. So what would happen normally? is you know when you're in the latter stage of your climb or maybe just arriving at cruise altitude the aircraft commander or captain would uh, kind of ask the uh, well would ask the uh, co-pilot whether he felt okay or she felt okay or you know should he take the first nap and that's how it worked and usually i'd say yeah i feel pretty good and so usually the aircraft commander would you know just kind of recline his seat and uh, kick up his feet, hopefully not hitting anything in the process. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. And take a, you know, a half hour, hour, hour and a half nap or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, I have no problem with it, actually. Uh, and now, um, obviously, Nick, you, you uh, were doing sort of long haul uh, for, a, a, you know, a ma many number of years. Uh, what was your... Uh, I mean, what did you tend to do? Were you, were you resting in the cockpit, or was there a rest area that you were able to go to? I mean, how did it work with um, with your airline? Well, if you had multiple crews on board, so you know, if you're doing a really long sector, so you've got an, one or even two extra pilots, then you were able to move out of the cockpit and uh, into the crew rest facility, which is normally a nice bunk area, and you could take a specific you know, rest period there. So that's why you carried extra pilots specifically for that. Uh, but of course, a lot of our sectors have only two pilots. You can fly, still fly up to sort of uh, nine hours uh, or more with two pilots, and that's pretty tiring. And particularly if it's a long drag through the night when you're at a, a wackle, a window of circadian low. So basically when your body says you should be asleep, but you're trying to work, um, then, uh, and only two pilots, you, there's obviously no one to step into the seat when, if you need to nap. And uh, they've discovered uh, in the UK, they had years of studying, and they even connected pilots up to uh, special monitors. They discovered that guys got so tired that uh, while they were on the approach, they were taking micro sleeps, they, you know, so they're taking seconds worth of of unconsciousness because their bodies were so tired they were going into these micro sleeps and obviously when even when you're on an approach and your adrenaline is usually really pretty high and you're concentrated very hard it was impossible to prevent yourself from taking these mini naps um so they said well there's got to be a better way of doing this so they quite a few years ago they formally introduced uh we called it crew rest recovery but it was a procedure that uh you had to follow if you felt very tired uh, or anticipating feeling tired where you would literally um, 
zone off the cockpit, make it nice and quiet. The other guy, you'd make sure the other guy was alert and awake <laughs> during the period. And uh, in order to ensure that he didn't fall asleep as well, then he had to call back uh, into the cabin to the cabin crew every 20 minutes. Uh, and if he failed to do that, then the cabin crew would call the cockpit, which was a loud noise and would wake everybody up. Um, so uh, during that period, you were allowed to take a short nap. And uh, the recommended uh, length was between sort of 20 and 40 minutes. So literally like a sort of power nap type sort of thing, just to sort of recharge the batteries enough. The idea Uh, was to stay in REM sleep so that you could come around and you'd be pretty alert very quickly mm. so you didn't go into very deep sleep because if you... Um, if you stay asleep for more than about 40 minutes, you go into a really deep sleep, mm. and then you might be a bit um, discombobulated when you came round. And people have uh, that Canadian guy that came round off a sleep and saw the, the the planet Venus and thought it was another airplane, grabbed all of the controls and dived the airplane down to get out of the way of a planet that was thousands and thousands of miles away right. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of what can happen when you mm. when you wake up and you're not really Ooh, worked yeah. out which way is up yet yeah so uh, there were there were lots of precautions and procedures in the procedure so that uh, you know that sort of thing didn't happen mm. uh, but it was very regularly done uh, particularly on the, the Atlantic flights back to the UK so uh, yeah. So Nev, uh, based on um, obviously this story is about the fact that, that you know they're talking about pilots uh, essentially having you know rest in the in the cabin. Um, I mean, how would you as a passenger feel about that taking place? Oh, definitely. I mean, oh, take part nice. Have we volume down there? Oh, right. um, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> panic. Crew fatigue is one of the biggest subjects, isn't it? Really. Um, so then they've. They have to do that. They they have to make sure that they are uh, rested in, in in the way that suits them. And we all know that uh, just a twenty minute nap, uh, perhaps on a long car journey, for example, I'm always surprised how refreshed I am after that. Um, yeah. it's just just enough to uh, do a bit of a you know reset, as it were. It and, is it, um, I, with a cup of coffee as well, maybe. Yeah, and you're good for another. And certainly, again, as I see, I mean, I drive in theory professionally uh for for a living and uh i'm sort of the same thing you know sort of 20 minutes even if even if i don't fall asleep it's, it's surprising that 20 minutes of just shutting your eyes for a bit uh, makes yeah. a big difference to sort of how you feel especially when uh, you know you you i mean i guess i'm lucky because obviously breaks are built into how uh i i go about what i do and obviously it's the same for both jeff and and, and nick it's it's that same sort of uh, uh, same thing, I guess, but um, there we are. So we'll move on to the mm. next story then, if I may. And uh, Nick, this one should be for you, I think. Okay, sir. Uh, this, oh, look, it's a nice Virgin Atlantic airplane. Wow. <laughs> so it says Virgin Atlantic could purchase A330 Neos. Why would this be good? Well, any new airplane's got to be good, isn't it, for heaven's sake? So it says Virgin Atlantic could be looking to purchase A330 Neos for their fleet. Reports suggest that the UK airline is looking at between six and ten of the Airbus aircraft to add to their current lineup and enable retirement of some of their older planes. 
Um, I'm going to question that because uh, the plan was or is to bring in A350-1000s to retire all the older planes. So it sounds if this occurs, it's going to be an expansion and not just to uh, replace uh, older airplanes. So Reuters suggested Airbus are close to securing a deal with Virgin for a number of T30neos. And the source says the 330neo is under consideration alongside the 787 Dreamliner, which, of course, the airline already has. According to reports, Virgin could be on the verge of ordering six to ten new aircraft as part of their fleet renewal. Whilst these are no more than rumours just now, Reuters has a habit of getting good inside information, well, they didn't ask me, ahead of the crowd. So we fully expect an announcement soon. Uh, they're asking why they would consider the 330 nears, and they're saying, well, according to Wiki, they've got four Airbus A330-200s, which uh, I can tell you from an inside source were nicknamed the Berlin Bombers um, because uh, they came from an airline called Air Berlin and they were very old versions of the A330, so a bit tired. Uh, they've got eight uh, A330-300s, nice new and very izzy-wizzy, Five three forty six hundreds, which are going, eight seven forty seven four hundreds, which are also going, and seventeen of the going seven eight seven dash nines, which of course have been suffering with their Rolls Royce engine problems. So a significant number of those have not been available within their fleet. There, I've just said the A three forty and the seven fours are going, so. Um, so whilst the airline does have 12 of the 351,000s, and they are specky-looking airplanes, they are really shiny, very nice, impressed with those. Uh, and they've got an amazing new upper-class product on board, which I have had a sneak preview of and also very impressed. Um, as an airline, they're clearly looking to expand. Uh, cutting capacity is not something that would be on their radar. So an additional order of uh, 6 to 10 330 Neos will certainly replace any lost capacity they might have in seat numbers when they get rid of the big old lovely 747-400s and those uh, 346-100s. They will have lost some seats because the replacement aircraft aren't quite as big. So an additional order would um, sort of even things out there. Um, they're saying the 330neo is an interesting airplane. Well, okay, fair enough. Uh, has about 250 seats, excellent range, and is an ideal choice for long, thin routes, giving Virgin the ability to expand into point-to-point -point services as opposed to their current mainly hub-and-spoke model. Uh, this is something we've seen with Emirates, they say, who have ordered 40 of the 330neos as part of their fleet shakeup to give them more point-to-point -point potential. Virgin are in the midst of a massive investment project at Manchester, so there's a good chance that if they get these aircraft, they may end up flying out of regional airports, which is very much a point-to-point -point destination. So 330neos could be exciting to see. It would be very welcome out there, I'm sure. They're um, comparing the 330neo against the Dreamliner, saying that um, their current fleet already has seven, uh, sorry, 17 Dreamliners and 12 330s of the older variants. Um, and so it wouldn't actually, the 330 near wouldn't be so much a new aircraft. It would just be uh, more efficient for sure. 
And uh, the, so with the Dreamliner operation, why not just get more of the same? It has the capacity range and passenger comforts that uh, the company like, and they're already equipped with them. But they mentioned that uh, many of the Dreamliners have been grounded for weeks following engine issues, issues. So perhaps they're not so keen to take a risk uh, about by ordering more. So in the end of the day, the decision will come down to finance the 7879 pri list price. Well, no one pays list price, so, <laughs> so relevant. It's uh, 292.5 million, whereas the 33800 Neo is 259.9 million. So a little cheaper, but quite honestly, it depends what you negotiate on the day. So... Um, the Dash 800 variant of the Neo hasn't proven particularly popular. And if uh, Virgin are looking at the Dash 900, the list price is on a par. Um, it's all going to depend on what kind of a deal they can get on the day. And uh, it's, But it's interesting to see that the company is looking to expand. I think now they've got rid of some of their older pilots, and all they've got these new young pilots, they're probably looking to fill all the cockpits they can. Well, this is true. <laughs> true. I mean, I, I mean, I'm asking the wrong person this question, aren't I? But uh, uh, is it uh, is it uh, a, a Boeing or Scarebus for you, sir? <laughs> well, I don't really mind. Uh, I, as a professional pilot, you pl you fly what's put in front of you. Fair point. Uh, yep. if, if you if you're getting paid to do a job, you put on their uniform and you fly their aircraft. Uh, really, an opinion on whether you like it or not is irrelevant because you want a job with a good company with good prospects. Fair point. And uh, there are a lot of places where you can't really pick the fleet. You get allocated. Yeah. Um, and although um, Jeff's in a different situation, he could pick a different aircraft type if he wanted. Still, that's a, a decision that would probably be made equally with lifestyle and uh, remuneration. So not so much, I suspect. Well, I'll ask him uh, what aircraft type it would be that he moved on to. I don't know. Well... Um, as you say, it's more for me about uh, my seniority, uh, quality of life, um, and interestingly, uh, I can make more money on the airplane that I'm flying now. I fly one of the uh, um, narrow bodies in the fleet, one of the smaller narrow bodies, uh, but because of the way it's staffed and overtime flying opportunities, um, many of our seniority list pilots are making more money than some of the people that are flying the long haul heavy uh, metal so you know that's it's pay is not necessarily associated with the size of not, the aircraft not the be all and end all <laughs> yeah uh, you know i interestingly um liz in the chat room brings up a good point that now um nick um they don't have to pick pay nick's salary oh, uh, no. they are now looking at buying new aircraft right. and yeah. wondering if that's coincidence <laughs> yeah they can get a whole fleet now yeah. <laughs> uh, any, anything you'd like to add to that nev <laughs> uh, well just some uh, inaccuracy in that um uh, the article does go on to say that uh, it does say that Delta uh, runs an all Airbus fleet, which uh, is not uh, does it not right? It, it, really, it, I didn't know I flew an Airbus. Oh wait, I don't fly for Delta. It, it, no, no, back. no, I don't it's, know what you mean. No, it's something unusual to have a major inaccuracy, isn't it? Especially so, here uh, in the UK. That, yeah. <laughs> indeed, yeah. And on that particular yeah. subject, we'll move on to the next story. This is on the Independent.co.uk website, and if this story is true and I have to confess I am very sceptical these days 
then it's a very distressing story, I think, really. So Team GB Paralympic medalist denied access to Ryanair flight after pilot refused to allow him on board. So a bronze medal winning Paralympic basketball player was refused entry to a Ryanair flight after he was told that the pilot would not let him board. Matt Byrne said he felt disgusted after being told he could not get on the flight from Dublin to Birmingham as he waited patiently on a wheelchair lift next to the plane. The wheelchair basketball star who won bronze for Team GB at Athens in 2004 and Beijing in 2008 and competed at the London 2012 Games is demanding an apology from the airline for refusing him access. Uh, the 44-year-old, again, irre irrelevant data, uh, told the Independent, I was waiting on the lift to get on board when a member of staff said the pilot's not taking you. I said, what do you mean he's not taking me? He said, because we're running a bit late. He's refusing to take you. He added, I don't complain about much, but I was disgusted. Uh, it felt cruel and humiliating. It's 2019. You can't have people doing that to you. It's just wrong. Mr Burns said that he arrived at Dublin Airport at 6.45pm, leaving plenty of time to tell, tell staff from OCS, the company that operates the lift for disabled passengers, that he required assistance to get on the flight at 8.50pm. He said there had been a slight delay of around five minutes getting the lift ready for, to take him on board before he was told that the pilot was refusing to take him. Uh, after being denied his place on the plane, he had to wait over two and a half hours to board the next one, leaving for Birmingham. Mr uh, Byrne is uh, paraplegic, meaning that he has an impairment in motor or sensory function of the lower extremities. Mr Byrne said long hours of chair sitting can increase the risk of pressure sores. The next flight was delayed until 11.30pm, so I didn't uh, finally get back to Nottingham until 2.30 in the morning. The whole journey from Dublin city centre took around nine hours. I could have gone to America in that time. Yeah, that I haven't had a good explanation. The pilot must have seen me waiting on the lift it takes five minutes to lift me on now i'm i'm not going to read any more of that story one one thing that uh i have to say obviously this i mean I, i've been involved in a similar situation not me personally but with somebody i was uh flying with and uh in my experience uh those with shall we say um you know who re require special assistance to go on the plane are normally boarded first that's the first time that i've ever known uh, a situation so uh, where where they haven't been boarded first now uh, maybe I'm reading between the lines the one thing and it, this could be the fault of the independent so I apologize if I'm speaking out of turn here but one thing that cons that concerns me a little bit is that uh, in order to gain um, access to special services or special assistance you need to have informed the airline you're flying with in, in advance of you arriving at the airport and certainly this story has given me the impression to think that he didn't do that until he arrived at the airport so whilst I'm sort of sorry that he, he feels like he, he was treated very unfairly by the, the airline and he may well be right in that my understanding was that um, uh, I mean I mean if I'm very surprised if they did know that he was coming in advance. I'm very surprised that that's the decision um, that 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 was made by by the captain. I don't know what um, uh, our our friends have uh, to say about that. I mean, obviously the rules may be may well be different for for you, Jeff. Perhaps in in the US. I don't I don't know how you how you would uh, how you would comment. Perhaps. Well, the um, airlines are really trying hard to keep everything running on schedule and. Um, I agree with you, Matt. In most cases in the airline for which I fly, we 
board the people with the disabilities uh, before regular passenger boarding. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes, uh, you know, out of their uh, control, they uh, may have a connecting flight or whatever and may arrive at the airplane in the midst of the, of the boarding process and be boarded mid-process or at the end. Uh, again, not uh, their fault, usually. Um, it may have been just a judgment call by the by the captain that, you know, we need to keep this schedule going and I'm uh, using my judgment at this point to see that uh, by the time if we wait for this all to take place, it's going to result in a late departure. So, you know, it's hard to say, you know, we weren't there. We don't know all the details here. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with somebody discriminating against someone because they are disabled. Uh, so well, and this is the thing, and as I say, I, I'm I'm personally beginning to feel that perhaps the reason uh, why is perhaps they for some reason they didn't know um, that um, he was that he required special assistance until he got to the airport. Mm-hmm. And, and it may that, have been also that the third party, the company that actually provides the lift, maybe mm-hmm. they dropped the ball in some way. Yeah, so, I, just yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree, Jeff. Uh, there's a good chance that uh, the intermediate company is the one that uh, uh, didn't do a particularly good job. They've refused to comment. I notice. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, once the captain has realised that he's got a uh, a disabled passenger who is um, being on hasn't been loaded in the normal sequence, i.e., first to trying to get them in on or at the end of the flight. Uh, just before departure is going to be uh, problematic. Yeah. Um, so it may have been uh, his call, and it, there's no such thing really as just being five minutes late on a really busy uh, short haul outfit because uh, that delay will just bounce down the, through the day, and by the end of the day, it's going to be uh, you just can't. There's enough flex to pick that time up again, I suspect. So it's probably uh, a pretty hard and fast rule that uh, they have a very firm yeah. doors close time. And, th- and there is obviously, you know, usually there is a reason why they, uh, why, you know, that sort of thing is dealt with first before all the other people are getting on board. I mean, that, that's why they yeah, usually exactly load right. Exactly. So uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very sad, sad that the, this this guy's had a negative experience. But uh, I, I'm not normally one to stand up for Ryanair. I have to be honest. Um, but I, I do feel that we're missing some key elements of the story. Uh, I, th- I think that's a fair comment. Anything to add, Nev? No. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. So uh, as you are in the chair, then, sir, we'll leave you to uh, take on the next story, if we may. Yeah, it's an interesting news and a positive bit of news from the BA for a change. Uh, it's on the Greater Kashmir I beg website. Your and it, <laughs> Say <yes>. that again. <laughs> the Greater Kashmir website. Right, okay. You've been buying you... jumpers again. <laughs> no, not recently. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it says that um, Pakistan welcomed the first British Airways flight on Monday after a decade-long absence due to security fears, with ministers saying it will boost business, trade and tourism between the South Asian, sorry, South Asian nation and Britain. Uh, BA's Boeing 787 Dreamliner landed in Islamabad from Heathrow Airport to begin a three-flights-per-week uh, three flights per week service, uh, Pakistan's civil aviation spokesman Farah Hussein said. High-ranking Pakistani and British embassy officials welcome the flight, which returned to Britain the same day. With this kind of connectivity that we now have, British investors will find it so easy. Uh, Pakistani uh, diaspora will find it very easy. Our own exporters 
our own business people will now have a greater connectivity uh, of going from here to London, uh, said Pakistan's trade industry minister, Abdul Razak Darwood. Uh, from London, the whole world is open to us. The British High Commissioner, Thomas Drew, and BA's Chief Commercial Officer, Andrew Brem, called on Prime Minister Imran Khan, who said that the resumption of the BA flights to Pakistan will boost tourism in the country and encourage increased trade and investment. Uh, the links between Britain and Pakistan are already extraordinary, from commerce, cricket and culture, to people, politics and education, Drew added. This launch is a vote of confidence in the future of those links. If you remember, uh, BA halted services to Pakistan following the 2008 Marriott Hotel bombing in the capital Islamabad, uh, which took place during a period of devastating Islamist militant violence in Pakistan. Uh, security has improved since with militant attacks sharply down in the mainly Muslim, Muslim country of 208 million people, reviving Pakistan as a destination for tourists and investors. At present, the uh, only loss-making uh, national carrier Pakistan International Airlines flies directly from Pakistan to Britain, but its aging fleet of planes is a frequent source of complaints by passengers. Uh, BA's uh, Andrew Brem said that the airline decided to resume operations due to increasing demand and the improved security situation in Pakistan. The priority for us is to fly where our passengers want to go and we absolutely had a demand to travel to Islamabad, uh, he told a news conference. Well, some good news, isn't it? And um, of course, actually organising these routes, it's not just a question of, you know, uh, filing a flight plan and choosing a crew and off you go. I mean, the, the countries uh, and continents um, that are barely speaking to each other um, fly uh, um, op operations and services between them. So these routes take a long time to negotiate, and especially if there's been a big security concern. Uh, obviously, safety is their greatest priority, so they want to make sure that everything's okay. But it's uh, good to see after such a long uh, gap that uh, BA is flying back to uh, Pakistan again. Perhaps they'll use the, the 747, Nev, uh, that they're no longer using on domestic routes, as we mentioned earlier. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Uh -huh. Maybe that's why. The 747s yes. are not available. There you are. <laughs> there we are. Very good point. I don't suppose it's going to be the most popular uh, bit trip to bid for, Jeff. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> no. Not high on the places you want to go. I it? would be high on my list of no. places to go visit. Okay, can't imagine why. I'm sure it's lovely. I'm sure it's lovely. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't doubt that for a nanosecond. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I, I guess, uh, Captain Jeff, that would be you next, I think. Oh, me. Yes. Yeah, this is from uh, New Zealand's News Hub. More faults found on Boeing's 787 Dreamliners. Aircraft manufacturer Boeing has been hit with yet another setback after U.S. authorities discovered issues with the 787-8 and 787-9 Dreamliner's wheels and braking systems. Certain areas in the tire wheel zones could be susceptible to damage, which could result in loss of braking on one of the main landing gear, loss of nose wheel steering, and loss of directional control on the ground. That's no big deal, said the Federal Aviation Administration in an advisory it applies to fewer than 100 Boeing Dreamliners currently in operation. Just two days ago, the FAA ruled further changes needed to be made to Boeing 737 MAX jets, including all that have been currently grounded and some that are still flying. 
The grounding was put in place after two of them crashed within weeks. Of, well, I don't know why they're throwing this all in here, I guess, to show how bad Boeing is. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to the Dude, to yes. this issue, the 787. Um, it's not known if Air New Zealand, which has a fleet of 787-9s and has just invested in 787-10s, will be affected. News Hub has contacted the airline for comment. Apparently, they haven't gotten back with them. Uh, financial estimates put the cost to airlines per aircraft at approximately five million uh, U.S. dollars, or seven and a half million New Zealand dollars. In addition to the changes, airlines must conduct detailed inspections of other parts of the Dreamliner aircraft too. Following reports, lightning strikes had caused dangerous hydraulic leakage. Ooh, that's embarrassing. Leakage. Um, uh, family so, show, ladies and gentlemen. Family yeah, show. Sorry. Uh, looks like, uh, yeah, just more things to pile on the uh, top of the uh, ailing Boeing Industries, Boeing uh, company. Um, and, you know, I, I remember reading something about some kind of an issue regarding this um, months ago. And uh, maybe it's just that the FAA has gotten around to putting, finally putting out the advisory regarding it. But um, it looks like it's not affecting too many of them. Um, uh, roughly, uh, what, a quarter of the uh, Dreamliners in the fleet? I'm not sure. I mean, uh, do, I do, you, do, you, do you think a lot of this, and, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm aware that um, Boeing are not making the headlines perhaps for all the, the usual good reasons, if that makes sense. Uh, do you yeah. think some of this is the fact that the media have basically pounced on any vaguely Boeing-related story in the hope that they can get more inaccurate mileage out of it? I think that, yeah, I, I think that could be, the case could be made for that. I think that's true in anything. You know, when you, yeah. when you are made aware of something and then all of a sudden you're, you're paying closer attention to it. So anytime you see anything that has Boeing in mm. the news, you're going to, yeah, as you said, you know, it's good uh, for ratings and good for uh, clicks on the internet. Yes, clickbait, as they call mm. it. It's, uh, and that's a big problem, I think, here in the UK especially. I mean, you, you sort of, they, they'll make up a, a story that's not really, uh, it's got a sensational headline for a nothing story, um, mm -hmm. which is just, it's one of the, and Nev, I know you'll agree with me wholeheartedly on this, this is one of the big bugbears I have with the media at the moment is they're doing this. I mean, they're doing this all the time, aren't they? Yeah, and uh, oh, sorry, I've done it again. Um, yeah, the the problem is really um, this twenty four hour news business and social media. Uh, it seems that accuracy is, is optional, uh, yeah. if at all required, um, and anything that they can have a go at, they they will. I think the problem is as well that you know, let's be honest, uh, when Airbus first came out with their A three twenty, there were some problems there, and Boeing had problems. Uh, with the 747 when it originally came out, and uh, I'm sure Embraer and other manufacturers yes. as well. Uh, Jeff, you had this your hand up. Happen because yeah, when he was talking about inaccuracy in the media, uh, was that some kind of a backhanded uh, comment regarding uh, our our podcast? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering. I think it, I kind of felt that. No. Yeah, I said I well, did that yeah. home to me too. But, but <laughs> honestly, you, you, you would try to maintain your 50% accuracy rate. So at least that's a, that's, a, that's a noble goal as a starting point. Yes, it is. Absolutely. We're actually recalibrating that and we're calling it <laughs> the average. And uh, actually, it's oh. going to be 25% now will be it's, the new average. Uh, it's to a be, moving. To we're be, not telling people that. 
To be fair, I, to be the the way that the British media is these days, and and I'm very sorry to say, but I mean, you know, I'm a big lover of the BBC. Anybody who knows me, you knows that I love the BBC, and it saddens me greatly that even that fantastic institution is as guilty uh, of this sort of like sensational headline uh, type thing. So, frankly, guys, if if you're if you're aiming for forty five percent accuracy and achieving it, then I I still think you're onto a winner versus most of the UK. Case media, it's it, it's just as a, 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 a it's not just limited to um, you know aviation. Uh, today I heard oh, a yeah. report on the BBC about tennis. Not normally my my sport of choice, but I know Liz is a very keen <laughs> tennis fan. But um, uh, they were talking about the the British um, female tennis player Johanna Conta, and they said she was trounced in in the semi final. It turns out she lost seven six seven five. I mean that's right. Not exactly that's hard. Hardly a thrashing, is it? it? But (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. So it's not just limited to uh, aviation. It's uh, it's all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's choose our adjectives a little bit better yeah no i yes. i agree wholeheartedly as i say and and this is the thing it's like yes I, you know, we're all familiar with the mac story it's an awful story there is obviously a problem there but it's just like but then it's the same with air shows isn't it there there was this whole you know there was one very awful i'm, I'm not trying to make you know the, obviously the the shoreham air crash was horrendous there's no two ways about it um but Every single little, there's been little incidences at air shows. I'm sure I, I correct me, somebody obviously, if I say something that's wrong here, but you know, there's been little incidences that have been occurring for as long as air shows have ever been, existed. But because of the Shoreham terrible incident, you know, the media is now pouncing on anything to do with air shows, almost like they're actively trying to shut them down or they're trying to sort of. You know, they've decided that their campaign is that all air shows are dangerous and therefore that's their agenda now and, and stuff like that. It, it really winds me up. Mm-hmm. It should. Anyway, sorry. I'll, sh- I'll shut Jared. up now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But it does smack of the uh, media uh, vultures circling. Yeah. You know, as soon as you get a, a theme, everyone wants to jump on it, yeah. anything that even is similar. And yeah. from that point of view, I feel very sorry for Boeing that... Uh, yeah. Uh, everybody's zoning in on them right yeah, now. Yeah, sort of picking them, picking them for that. Uh, while you're yeah. in the chair then, uh, Nick, I wonder if I could trouble you to move on with the next story, please. Well, it's from North Wales Live. You mean there are people live in North Stop Wales? Stop it. Sarah, I never saw it. <laughs> Behave. Uh, okay. Uh, hi, North Wales. I was only checking. I love you, really. Um, Airbus take off for airlines business class only plane. Ooh. Okay, so... Uh, a luxury Airbus plane, uh, we call it an aircraft, or at the most an aeroplane, but <laughs> plane, no. A luxury Airbus plane that will provide a business class only, we've heard of this before, service across the Atlantic has taken off. Oh, very well written, sir. Um, the first single aisle, A321neo, is destined for La Compagnie, uh, an exclusively business class French airline, which, uh, sorry for my pronunciation, by the way, operating scheduled transatlantic flights. Airbus uh, has already secured a number of orders for the A321neo jet, including a recent order for 25 from China Airlines. Um, Whilst the first delivery is to the exclusive airline, the jet can be configured into various cabin options with a maximum of 244 seats. Not really 
uh, relevant considering this is going to be uh, fairly luxurious with lots of room. They definitely want to have that many seats. Um, the services on this aircraft commence today from Paris Orly Airport uh, to Newark Liberty International. Uh, on lease from uh, GCAS La Compagnie's A321neo is powered by CFM International Leap 1A new generation engines and features a business class only cabin with 76, there you go, seats that go full flat, offering passengers unmatched comfort. Uh, I'm not quite sure they'll be able to live up to that boast since there are some pretty comfortable places you can fly. Um, cabin also includes a high level of connectivity on board and an Airbus spokesman said selected for their outstanding operational efficiency comfort and range these new generation single aisle aircraft and that's a bit of a problem isn't it if you want to get to the loo and there's a trolley in the way allow the <laughs> French carrier to benefit from better fuel efficiency excuse my whistling teeth and lower operating costs on its transatlantic New York Paris route uh, with this brand, the A321neo becomes, uh, La Compagnie becomes the latest uh, operator. The airline has two uh, more A321neos on order. So therein lies the problem with these, and we've seen a few in the past. These uh, business class only, uh, you know, um, specialist uh, people, um, oh, sorry, companies that want to offer a, a luxury service. It's all very well, and they can usually undercut a business class ticket on a regular airline, but with one aircraft turning into three aircraft, the problem usually comes with unserviceabilities and breakdowns in their schedule, which if you're going to pay a few thousand pounds to get across the Atlantic, even if it's less than the average, uh, is not ideal if you want to have mm. a guaranteed service. Yes, and of course, if it is an all-business class uh, configuration and the, and the plane does go tech for whatever reason, you you know, <laughs> with most aircraft... I mean, how many... Is it sort of like 40 usually, is it, in, say, business class? Or what, what are the numbers normally? Uh, I suppose it depends uh, on... Yeah, uh, we, we have about 45 on one of our big airbuses, mm. yeah. So uh, th this is the thing. It's like, you know, if it's an all-business-class uh, flight and, and it goes tech, there's going to be an awful lot of very cross people, even if they do change it for well, another yeah, aircraft. Because they're going to end up uh, in economy. And yeah. All of them end up in economy on another airline, uh, crammed in because now the airplane's absolutely chonker. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, n not brilliant. Uh, yeah. Lovely so, idea, but... <laughs> well, it is. But we've seen uh, Silver Wings did it, and we've seen other companies try it. And mm. uh, one, there's not one airline has managed to uh, come out of uh, the end of it looking good. Mm. They usually disappear within five years. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, anyway, on to the next story. This is on the BBC, so it's bbc.co.uk or bbc.com if you're outside the UK. And the headline is London Luton's Airport Noise Assessment is Inadequate. London Luton, that always makes me laugh. London well, Luton. London Luton Airport's inadequate, basically. Right. Noise, <laughs> assessment, <I> <laughs> noise is the least of its That's worries. not a story entirely. Yeah, probably. absolutely. Yes. Noise is the least. Anyway, London Luton. We'll, we'll carry on, shall we? Uh, London Luton's yeah. airport bid to relax noise limits has not adequately considered the adverse impact on residents, a report has said. The airport uh, applied to its owner's Luton Borough Council uh, to lift the noise conditions it applied for when it asked for planning permission to expand. 
expand. But noise consultants uh, Cole Jarman said it had not offered any mitigation against the increased noise levels. The airport said it would fully res it would respond fully to the report. Luton Airport applied for permission to relax noise control after an unexpectedly quick expansion of passenger numbers. The uh, council ordered the assessment by independent professionals in its role as the local planning authority to assess the impacts of the airport operator's planning application to vary condition 10, which limits the amount of noise the airport is allowed to make. It sets limits on its noise footprint, an area inside which the average noise is higher than a given amount. Cole Jarman's report concluded the airport's noise assessment provided in its application was inadequate in that it does not provide a sufficient description of the adverse effects likely to arise and offers no uh, effective means of mitigating significant adverse effects. Airport Operations Manager Neil Thompson said, We note the comments from the local authority and will respond to them fully as part of the ongoing planning process. London Luton Airport adheres to some of the strictest noise control measures of any major UK airport. However, due to faster-than-predicted passenger growth, we are seeking a temporary variation to just one of those many controls to allow time for newer, quieter models of aircraft to be introduced. Andrew Lamborn from Luton and District Association for the Control of Aircraft Noise said, the expert report vindicates our position and exposes the total lack of concern which the airport has for its local residents. Luton Borough Council said, we are still considering the application and cannot make any further comments at this time. I mean, you know, if you live in Luton or if you live near Luton Airport, um, I guess you shouldn't be surprised that there may be slightly higher noise levels in the same way that people used to complain when I was a landlord of a pub because the pub that has stood there for 350 years is prone to making a little bit of extra noise on a Friday evening. Well, yes, and I think the other thing is about this, let's be honest, the sort of aircraft that operate out of Luton are extremely modern A320s, uh, 77 800s with the latest engines. When they're not running BAC 111s or, um, I, I nearly said MD80 series, they've just stopped short, um, <laughs> or, or 727s, you know, uh, pre-hush kitted stuff. You know, it's all very modern and it's all relatively quiet and I'm, I'm actually quite surprised I was around there the other day um, just under the flight path um, when they were taking off it's not that noisy really no. um, compared to even 10 years ago you know? but, yeah uh, I don't live there so I this is true. I mean, uh, presumably they have similar things like this in, in the States, Jeff, where uh, obviously, uh, you know, if an airport is in, in a sort of, you know, built-up area, they, they have noise restrictions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, many of the uh, airports we operate into and out of have special noise abatement procedures to try to minimize the noise to the surrounding communities and, you know, specialized flight paths, depending on the weather conditions and also preferred runways to use again to you know mitigate the uh, the noise issue so i'm going to ask a, a question here this is perhaps uh, the wrong crowd to ask this to but would noise from an airport bother you jeff no because i love the noise of yeah. airplanes flying this around. <laughs> yeah this is i mean nev if your house was under heathrow's flight path um you know 
Are, are you likely to be bothering well, uh, uh, air traffic control with pointless uh, emails? Two, two things would be happening there. I, I would be a single man. Uh, right. Definitely. Uh, because <laughs> okay. Mrs. Nair doesn't sleep very well at the best no. of times. Okay, right. <laughs> so that would be that. Uh, but I, I mean, don't tell her, but I'd be quite happy with that. Uh, so maybe I could just have a little apartment somewhere, mm. you know, for the, the weekends. Now, now, uh, but uh, no, I mean, uh, you know. So. Nick, as a, re- as a recently retired uh, gentleman of aviation... Uh, oh, nice of you to say, gentlemen. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> absolutely. It's the one and only time. Make the most of it. There is. Uh, how, how does one? I mean, I mean, I know you still love aviation, but I mean, would that now kind of be your idea of your worst nightmare? Listening to these planes flying over you all the time. No, not really. Uh, I spent 20 years of my life uh, on military bases uh, with a Maricola that was usually right under the circuit, so a mile, two miles from the base, and they were flying jet fighters, uh, you know, all hours of the day. So, no, I have absolutely no problem at all with jet noise. Uh, I love looking up. Uh, the only time it comes a problem is, you know, if you're trying to have a, a, a nice afternoon party and there are airliners coming over at 100 feet all the time but uh no normally absolutely no problem at all yeah i, I was just asking the 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 that i've got two people sit, sat in the studio with me here and i was just asking them actually they said they said uh they wouldn't mind either uh to be fair uh they would it wouldn't actually bother them at all hey you'll get told off for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I suspect there's a certain element of what can I get out of uh, the yes. airport to compensate yes. me for what apparently yeah, is. Uh, and also, in most cases, of course, the airport has been there like in, this, in the same situation as the pub that I ran that was 350 years old. It's been there a lot longer than most of the people that, yeah. you know, living there. If you're really that bothered by it, don't move there. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. So I, I don't have a lot of sympathy. Okay, no, indeed. Uh, so on to the next story then, please. Senev, that is with you, I think. Another positive pressure away story. We're on, we're on a real roll here now, aren't we? So it's on the travelweekly.co.uk, and it says that uh, a 96-year-old Second World War veteran and former British Airways pilot has returned to the cockpit some 45 years after retiring. Frank Tell was able to sit in a cockpit once again as part of British Airways' commitment to 100 acts of kindness across the world as part of its centenary celebration. The former RAF pilot flew over Germany in the Second World War before flying for British Airways between 1946 and 1976. Uh, The veteran was born in Hove, East Sussex in 1923, but now resides in a Booper care home in Sydney, Australia. Being a pilot, he said that being a pilot was beyond the reach of average people like me in terms of the cost. Then the war came along and paved the way for me to learn to fly. When my time came to be released, there was no job for me in the Air Force. So I started with British European Airways. It was amazing to see how much pre-war flying and training came into the category of what we were doing then. It was a great privilege to work for British European Airways and now an incredibly proud moment to help them celebrate their 100th birthday and to be back in the cockpit again. It's over 30 years since I was last in the cockpit and I never thought I'd be here again. Whilst the technology has changed, 
there are so many things that have stayed the same and it's brought back some wonderful memories. Uh, Frank and his late wife Isabel moved to Australia in 2000 to be closer to their grandchildren but uh, after his wife died he moved into the Bupert St Ives care home in Sydney in 2018. Reba Hatcher, manager of the Bupert St Ives care home who put the idea to British Airways said it's so important for us as carers to celebrate the lives and achievements of our residents and to shine the spotlight on what makes them so unique. Well, it's a very nice gesture, and I think um, uh, very well received by Frank there, definitely. Absolutely. What yeah, a lovely I, story. I, it is a lovely story. I've got a question there. Uh, what's British Airways maths like? Because if you add 100 <laughs> years onto the 31st of March 1974, I make it the 31st of March 2074. Now, <laughs> forgive me, but I don't think this is 2074 quite yet. Oh, no, you see, <laughs> what you've done there, you've, you've uh, made an obvious uh, comment, um, which we, we were all thinking, but dare not mention, um, of course. Well, that it's not actually was, 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, and also when they say that um, he flew for British Airways uh, between 1946 and 1976, which I don't think he could have been doing. Uh, because British Airways wasn't actually called uh, British Airways then at all. Yeah, it was, uh, he flew for BEA. Yes, yeah. But, yeah, I know, hey, but, you know, you know Mr. Joe Bloggs won't get all that, obviously. It won't, it won't mean no, anything no. to them. Oh, yeah, let's not, let's not bother with accuracy. No, no, um, no, quite. Yeah. <laughs> well, after all, Just we don't, to the... so why should anybody else? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Interesting, going back to the... Um, Part where he was flying in the Second World War. I was watching a documentary on television the other day, and of course, in in peacetime, there's you know a lot of attention paid to pilot training and you know the the hours and hours and hours of line training and simulator. And these Second World War pilots, and I was I can't remember what documentary it was. Uh, I was watching this week. I mean, some of them had three hours, four hours um, in, in the cockpit before they were actually on active duty. Uh, absolutely in incredible uh, because of the, the war effort was uh, was so intense. And it's always worth remembering, isn't it, about how inexperienced these people were uh, before they actually got into the air. Absolutely. I mean, they usually had a bit more total flying, but their, their t time on type was often very limited. Mm, yeah, very much so. Indeed. Uh, okay, we're going to move on to the next story then, if we may. And uh, Jeff, I think this one will be if with you. If we must. I know. Must. I know. I'm sorry. Oh, that okay. looks jolly nice where you are, sir. Yeah, I've moved outside uh, uh, to the beach. <laughs> getting a little stuffy inside. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see. Passengers. At, this is from uh, Isle of Wight Radio. Passengers, although it's not radio, it's a web, web page. But anyway, uh, passengers at Southampton Airport found themselves at the center of the very special international events to mark the 75th anniversary of D-Day when Air Force One and heads of state from across Europe landed at the airport. Yesterday morning, aircraft from across the globe were welcomed on the runway as dignitaries flew en route to the commemorative events in Portsmouth. They included the heads of state for Poland, uh, Czech Republic, Greece, Luxembourg, and the President of France, Emmanuel Macron, all at the Isle of Wight's nearest international airport. Later in the day, passengers were stunned to view close up the arrival of Air Force One 
followed by the Marine One helicopter carrying President Donald Trump on his return trip from Portsmouth. Uh, the specially marked Boeing 757 departed for the president's next stop in Ireland before heading for Normandy. Prime Minister Theresa May also passed through the airport on her way to the events today on the beaches uh, of Normandy. Uh, extra staff were on duty to, to deliver the extra special airside operations, and there was a large police presence around the entire airport campus to ensure everything went smoothly. The managing director of the airport, Neil Garwood, said, from the first flight of the Spitfire off our airfield, 1936, to the thousands of troops stationed here throughout the conflict, our airport is indelibly linked with World War II. It is very humbling to be able to play even a small part in these magnificent commemorative events, and we are extremely proud to have been able to bring so many nations together to recognize the sacrifices made 75 years ago. We may not see a day like this for a very long while, and it will live long in the memory of everyone who works here. It's, there you go. It's a wonderful story. I mean, actually, he he was uh, he was uh, very well behaved. I have to be honest uh, during his visit here uh, in in Blighty, um, and um, it was nice to uh, sort of have the special relationship, if you like, uh, sort of underlined. I think. Uh, Especially given the weirdness, I'm not allowed to say that word. I know uh, the word <laughs> Brexit, uh, but <laughs> it's uh, it was uh, it was it was a very interesting, and, and it was um, quite nice to sort of see uh, the thing down in Plymouth. Actually, was very moving. I don't know if you saw um, perhaps any. I don't know if you got much coverage of that in the in the <laughs> states where uh, yes, you've got do. the sort of the big D-Day um, uh, thing going on. It was really quite uh, really quite special. Mm. Very much so. Now, this article, I just thought I'd point out um, many people, well, if you're watching the video and you saw the uh, photograph uh, put up uh, from the article, and, and as they mentioned here in the story, it was a 757. And mm -hmm. some people would say, well, that's, that, that's not Air Force One. Uh, and Air, Air Force One is a 747. Well, no, Air Force One is whatever airplane or uh, it is when the president is on board. Right. Okay. So... Um, now, because they haven't got the new ones yet, are they? Because they they are they yeah. are changing. Um, yeah, they're just they're getting newer seven forty sevens, but it's right. going to look almost identical to what okay what yeah. most people think of as Air Force One right now. So I mean, I, I know you're not part. You know, obviously you, you you're not speaking on behalf of him. But any idea uh, why they they changed to the seven five rather than the usual seven four? Yeah, it's a matter of uh, the availability of um, field length, runway, um, you know, whatever's best suited for wherever they're going to be flying into. Right. So I'm guessing that one of the places, probably wherever they flew into for the D-Day ceremony, mm -hmm. uh, ceremonies, um, Normandy, I guess maybe that airport yeah. perhaps wasn't really suited for um, the 747. Fair point. Because he arrived here at Stansted. Um, so I mean, I mean that takes three eighties and stuff. So it, it won't have been mm -hmm. it's unlikely to have been Stansted. And um, yeah, I guess uh, I don't know. Was it? Um, and uh, I, I dare say uh, our vision mixer will will correct me. I think it was it Shannon. They f he flew into. I've got a feeling. Yeah. It, yeah well, oh, uh, Nev's back. Yeah. Sorry, it was uh, Shannon that he uh, flew into. Um, for, from there, so yeah, perhaps it was Norman, Normandy. Perhaps that's why they couldn't go, go in the, in the usual. Uh, I, I do hope it had uh, you know at least business class for him. I mean, I'd hate, hate to think he was uncomfortable. Well, it's it's a specially <laughs> configured uh, VIP transport from the what, what is it the eighty ninth um, 
uh, squadron um, that does all that kind of flying here for the U.S. Air Force. Indeed. Good. Okay, so we move on to the next story then, if we may please. Nick, that's with you. Okay, this is from Flight Global, who actually have a reasonable reputation. So they're <laughs> saying uh, Iranian investigators have disclosed that an ATR-72-500 captain ignored repeated suggestions from the first officer not to proceed with a landing at Tehran during a storm before the aircraft sustained damage during touchdown. So, and the Iran Osman Airlines, oh, I might not have pronounced that quite well. <laughs> oh, you're an Osman, huh? Yeah, <laughs> the Iran family show. The Iran Aceman Airlines. Uh, so, no yeah, uh, the aircraft uh, Echo Papa Alpha Tango X Ray conducted an unstable approach in adverse weather with high acceleration levels, says the Iranian uh, Civil Aviation Organization. Uh, it states that the uh, turboprop arriving from Rashton on the 11th of June last year, was traveling at 168 knots below 2,000 feet. Well, I'm thinking that even for an ATR, that doesn't seem to be particularly fast. Um, uh, despite a limitation of 145 knots. Now, I'm, I wonder what that limitation would be. I would have thought the flaps would have been okay at that speed. I, I don't know. Any ATR drivers out there can help me? Um, and it was descending at more than a thousand feet a minute when it passed through 850 feet. Well, it's a tad high, uh, but uh, you know, uh, a normal descent rate would be 800 feet a minute around there. So, not unusually high if if it's just transitory. Uh, the crew received glide slope warnings. Well, that is a worry. And then ground proximity warnings at 810 <laughs> feet. And that really is a worry. So, That's not good. <laughs> yeah, at that point, yeah, no, best, best, best laid plans, best we go around. Uh, mm -hmm. However, they continued. Upon touchdown, the aircraft bounced four times with a maximum impact of 1.9 Gs, which is pretty impressive. Um, the inquiry refers to non-compliance with crew resource management practice, stating that the captain did not pay attention to the first officer's suggestions to divert to Esfahan or, or hold or execute go-rounds at different points during the flight. So it sounds like he was try, trying to do anything he could to get his captain not to try and But the chap wasn't listening. It was part of a chain of errors by the captain, uh, and then he failed to comply with uh, requirements regarding takeoff or landing in thunderstorm zones, uh, and uh, that included prohibiting landing if a storm involved lightning on wind shear within five miles of an airport. That's quite a restrictive um, limitation. Uh, I think I've uh, least had that um, within five miles of an airport. But um, so we're not so cut and dry with that. But obviously in Iran they are. Uh, and uh, they, uh, the weather data show that there were uh, QNIMs uh, at three and a half thousand feet and thunderstorm around. Captain claimed that a forecast from Rasht had mistakenly predicted light stormy conditions, but as Jeff's holding his hand up, you don't <laughs> land on what the forecasts say. You land on what the actual conditions are when you get there. So <laughs> I think that's a pretty weak defense myself. Yeah. Um, the inquiry said the captain demonstrated no situational awareness regarding information from other flights who were presumably all diverting and Tehran uh, Mehrabad 
uh, airport controllers and relied instead on his visual interpretation of the weather. Well, I suspect his visual interpretation was marred. Perhaps he had blinkers or was using Nelson's eye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Investigators rejected suggestions that the aircraft had insufficient fuel to divert, stating that it had enough to fly to Isfahan. Obviously, uh, he had a hard date. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Either that, or the, either that or the ribs are really good there. Perhaps that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, yeah. They, they got a branch well, of dinosaur there. Yeah, absolutely. Anything's <laughs> possible. You know what he heard, the, like, uh, about a week ago, he heard that uh, the weather was going to be fine that day. He got his app on his phone and said, oh, it's good. <laughs> yeah, so let's stay here. the 68 yeah. occupants were injured, but the ATR sustained damage to its nose wheels and components, including probes, windows, and static discharges. Oh, uh, that sounds really weird selection of things to... Uh, there you go. So Pretty. I don't think he did a very good job. No, no, fair point. Uh, <laughs> right, OK, before we move on, uh, I think it's just worth mentioning uh, there's a certain very special guest in the chat room at the moment, and that is the lovely... Jenny in Rome and it's also her birthday today so uh, as I haven't got uh, Carlos here in the studio with me I wonder Jeff if you could perhaps join me in uh, in singing a little song with me uh, okay will there to... be much latency uh, involved here? Uh, probably it'll probably be horrendous okay. but we'll give it a go uh, okay. <laughs> so, a happy birthday <laughs> to you Happy uh, birthday yep. to you. <laughs> you keep going. Happy birthday, dear Jenny. Happy birthday to, to you. you. Lovely, excellent. Only dogs can hear us now. Absolutely. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jenny. <laughs> uh, dear, that that was horrendous. Well done, chaps. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's a problem when you're trying to do this uh, with this kind of. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> oh dear, never mind. Uh, so that is believe it or not, where we bring the commercial segment uh, to a close. Uh, next up, we have a very nice little piece uh, of video that uh, Nev and I took from Duxford. Uh, uh, perhaps you could uh, fill us in, sir. Yes, we were in Duxford, weren't we, a few weeks ago, and the weather was lovely, very nice indeed. Captain Nick joined us as well, and uh, whilst the um, other guys were over at the uh, American uh, hangar, uh, Matt and I came across a British Airways uh, BAC 111, which we decided we would have a look at, and um, here we are. Well, we can't be at Duxford and be so close to a BA aircraft without chatting to the man that is essentially BA. Hello Nev. Yes here we are very sunny Duxford indeed isn't it and uh, we are standing in front of a British Air, uh, Airways BAC 111 which was never known as the quietest aircraft going to say the least. Um, they did bring out versions which had hush kits on which made them slightly more env environmentally friendly um, but uh, it was a very popular aircraft especially on the shorter haul and the European sectors mm. as, as well. Um, but in fact, uh, there was quite a big incident with a BAC 111 of British Airways, which was flying from Birmingham to Malaga, right. it was flight 5390, and it diverted to Southampton because the captain got sucked out of the cockpit due to a windshield failure. Um, so to say that was a bit of paperwork to fill out was an understatement. 
Um, You're not kidding. As a nervous flyer, that's not really something that I sort of thought was even vaguely possible. No, it's, it's not ideal. It's, let's say that. It's not ideal. Okay. Um, but uh, in fact, they held on to his legs, uh, and although he actually became unconscious at, at one point, uh, he did actually survive the whole thing to tell the tale. And it was due to some rivets that were put into the windshield that weren't the correct size. Uh, so it actually failed when the aircraft pressurised. So, uh, but uh, there oh, we go. What sort, what sort of altitude? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think I would imagine it would be beyond 10,000 feet, something like that. Right. Uh, That's right, but, we've, got, we've got Dave over there who has yeah. been feeding us all the information. We yeah. sound like we've been really smart about this, but somebody's been feeding us the information. That's the one. Why, what I like about our Plain Talking UK <laughs> listeners. They know more about us than, they, than they we do. They know more yeah. about it than we do. And yeah. they, Leave it with Dave's looking up now. We'll have that answer well, for you in a moment. Well, they should, yes. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, but uh, anyway, it's been a great day here, hasn't it? been oh, yeah. superb and great to see everybody. Uh, coming along, and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, at the uh, last camp, we've got we've got about 25 people who've mm. all turned up, which is yeah. just fantastic. Really, really excited. And as I say, we couldn't have asked for better weather. Next up, ice creams. Oh. And uh, that is exactly what we did, of course. We, we wandered <laughs> off and went and had an ice cream immediately. Uh, uh, actually, I, I have to confess, Nev, uh, there was a fabulous sunburn brewing there nicely already. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, it was, it was uh, one of those days where you thought, oh, it's, it's not that bad. And, of course, I, as usual, I took my sun cream with me, but actually failed to put any on. So that was uh, uh, yes. not particularly... Slight technical it works fail. better when you actually use it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's, that's it, isn't it? Better. Yes, that's what it's all about. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's what my wife says about my my head. <laughs> my brain. Yes. You know, it really head, works well. If you head, use it. Who said head? I know. What I meant was. <laughs> Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen, family show. Uh, right, OK. Uh, before we get into even more trouble, I think perhaps we should uh, move on to the military then. So although Armando isn't here this week, he has very kindly sent us all in in the stories. So if we are ready, gentlemen... We are. Let's go. Ready. And so the first story this week then is on India today and the headline is Air Force AN-32 transport plane missing after takeoff from Assam. Uh, search ops to continue overnight. So the last contact with the aircraft, an Antonov AN-32 military transport aircraft was at around 1pm today, although I'm not sure when this was actually released, so apologies for that. Uh, that was June the 3rd, sorry, so going back to June the 3rd. Uh, so an Indian Air Force uh, transport aircraft has gone missing after taking off from an airbase in Assam. The last contact with the aircraft, an Antonov AN-32 military transport aircraft, was at around 1pm today. Uh, this was, the, sorry, June the 3rd. Uh, 13 people were on board the plane, including eight crew members and five passengers. The Indian Air Force has deployed all available resources, including a Sukhoi uh, Su-30 combat fighter jets and C-130 Hercules special operations aircraft to locate the missing 
plane. Troops uh, in the uh, in the ground too have found out to hunt for the missing AN-32. In a tweet posted a few hours after the AN-32 went missing, the Indian Air Force said that the search operations for the missing plane will continue into the night. The Air Force said some reports were received of the sighting of a possible crash site. However, those reports did not turn out to be true. The Antonov AN-32 had taken off from Jorat in uh, Assam and was heading to um, oh, uh, I want to say Mehuta is that I hope, hope apologies if that's incorrect uh, advanced landing ground located in Mehuta Valley uh, uh, <laughs> in a place I also cannot pronounce I'm very sorry I want to Aronchal uh, Pradesh uh, the plane lost contact around 35 minutes after taking off. Uh, in July 2016, Indian Air Force AN-32 transport aircraft disappeared off the Bay of uh, Bengal with 29 people on board. The plane had taken off from an airbase in Chenzai and was headed to An. And Andaman and uh, Nicobar Islands. Radar contact with the plane was lost around an uh, lost uh, around an hour after the AN-32 took off from uh, said base. Following the disappearance, the Indian Air Force launched uh, what later became India's largest search operation for a missing plane over the sea. However, the aircraft was never found, and search operations were called off on the September the 20th, 16th. So. Um, not good news really when uh, uh these things these things happened um and i noticed from uh, looking into this story earlier no further updates uh so i assume it's still very much missing the ocean is a very big place as all of those who uh knew someone who perished on the malaysian uh, uh, aircraft yeah. are well aware uh, and uh, you know even something as as big as that airliner can disappear with Barely a trace. Yeah, it's it, it's not good. Anyway, we'll move on, Nev. Uh, oh, I noticed they oh, launched a, uh, a a fighter, a Sukhoi Su-30 combat fighter, to go out and find it. So perhaps if it hadn't crashed, they were going to shoot it down. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just yeah. curious to know why they'd send a fighter out because you know, compared with a proper search and rescue aircraft, very limited range. And, uh, you know, you're whizzing along. So okay. It's perhaps going a little fast for uh, spotting anything. Well, you can <laughs> slow them down. They don't, you have to land at some point, so it can fly quite slowly. But mm. it just seems an unusual choice of aircraft to go search for it. But perhaps it was just all they had available at the time. Indeed. Uh, Nev, uh, I'll pass the next story to you, if I may. Thank you, Matt. And it's on flightglobal.com, the website that we like, because it's got an easy font to read. <laughs> um, it says that uh, Boeing is working on the potential international deals related to its KC-46A tanker and the 737-based E-7 uh, early, uh, airborne early warning and control aircraft. The company has delivered 11 KC-46As to the uh, US Air Force and aims to have 18 uh, delivered by the second quarter and somewhere between 36 and 40 by the end of this year, says Boeing Vice President Jeff Shockey, speaking with reporters in Singapore in late May. Uh, we are moving along and working closely with the customer on those deliveries, he said. Feedback is positive from operators. Uh, the figure of a possible 40 deliveries is four units higher than recent guidance from Boeing, 
which stated that 36 deliveries were targeted by year-end. Shockey also addressed the highly publicised foreign object debris issues that halted the KC-46A deliveries earlier this year. You've read some of the issues that we've had on KC-46A with FOD, he says. Uh, that's something that embarrasses us and really makes us want to go all in to figure out what we need to do as a company to execute better for our customers. It's very humbling when we have a stumble like this on a really key program. Shockey also revealed that there are six KC48, uh, sorry, 46A sales opportunities globally for up to 20 aircraft. These are in Indonesia, Israel, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, uh, NATO, Norway, and Japan. Of these, uh, Japan already has orders for this type, but the UAE is a surprise given that it already operates the KC-46A's rival, the Airbus Defence and Space A330 multi-role tank transport. Shockey says that the UAE may obtain three tankers to add to its fleet of three A330 MRTTs. Uh, Airbus, when asked about the UAE's tanker plans, directed queries to Abu Dhabi. Uh, Shockey adds that there is potential to sell another, uh, sorry, 10 additional E7 uh, uh, AEWNC platforms internationally. He declined to specify which countries are interested in the capability, however. We have uh, interest from a number of countries that I'm not at liberty to talk about, he said, and uh, there seems to be a resurgence in the E7. Seoul, at least, has stated interest in adding a pair of AEWNC assets to its existing fleet of four E7s. Qatar reportedly expressed interest in the E7 in the past, but it's not clear if it's in the market for this capability. Uh, India is also exploring its AEWNC options, uh, where it operates uh, 8P81s, a uh, type also derived from the 737. Uh, Sirium's uh, fleet analyzer shows that there are 14 737-700-derived E7s in service globally, in addition to South Korea. Royal Australian Air Force operates six, and the Turkish Air Force four. The Royal Air Force has a letter of intent for five. Well, going back to the KC-46A, finally they're actually delivering uh, some quantities of these because they've had a lot of problems with them, as we know, over the last couple of years. But uh, good to see that the uh, deliveries are now happening. Very much so. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good news, isn't it? So uh, let's go with Jeff then. Perhaps you could take the next one, please. This one from FlightGlobal.com as well. Uh, Japan receives first E-2D advanced Hawkeye. The Japan Air Self-Defense Force, the JASDF, has taken delivery of the first Northrop Grumman E-2D advanced Hawkeye airborne early warning and control aircraft, an AEWNC. Uh, Northrop Grumman's long-standing par partnership with Japan is beginning a new chapter with the delivery of the first Japan E-2D, says Northrop Grumman's Jane Bishop. This aircraft provides a significant increase in early warning and surveillance ca capability to outpace Japan's evolving security needs. The aircraft is the first of four aircraft on firm order, and it first flew in November 2017. According to Northrop, it was handed over to the Japan Air, uh, what is it again? The Air Self-Defense Force on, um, let's see, I'm skipping around here. I'm, I'm not very good at that, uh, in March. In September 2018, the possibility of additional orders was raised when the U.S. government cleared Tokyo to obtain nine additional examples. 
Japanese E-2Ds have several modifications compared with those operated by the U.S. Navy from its aircraft carriers. Given that Tokyo's aircraft will operate from land bases, it is modified to carry extra fuel in a wet wing, providing endurance of eight hours compared with five hours for the U.S. E-2Ds that operate on carriers. Those aircraft rely on air-to-air refueling to boost endurance. Uh, Sirium fleets analyze, Sirium's fleet's analyzer shows that Tokyo operates 13 E-2Cs and four Boeing E-767s in the AEW and C mission. Northrop notes that Tokyo has operated the E-2C since 1983 and that it is the world's second largest operator of the type after the U.S. Navy. The E-2D delivers a two-generation leap in radar technology, allowing the aircraft to track threats at extended range, says Northrop. The aircraft can also be used in humanitarian assistance and disaster relief capacity for civilian emergency coordination. The E-2D offers interoperability with next-generation aircraft systems and U.S. Navy allies to support regional security cooperation. I have a feeling there's a lot to do with the fact that uh, uh, China is uh, really making a, uh, a bid for control of the, uh, of the sea between Japan and, and mm. China, and they're building islands e- even out there. And uh, yeah. I guess there's some, some tensions uh, with the Japan and China regarding the uh, China Sea out there. Yeah. It's a pretty old design, this. Uh, it, it is. It goes it back is. to the late 50s, early 60s, uh, the, to the Hawkeye. Uh, it's well proven, but I don't think I'd ever trust an airplane that needs four fins. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got that darn big giant Frisbee on the top. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of disrupts the airflow a bit, I think. <laughs> Just a tad, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I've flown with guys at uh, Acme that uh, flew the, well, not this particular model, but an earlier model of the E-2. And they say, I believe it's the largest um, airplane that they land on an aircraft carrier uh, because oh, of its wow. wings. It's uh, quite a wide wingspan to land oh, on. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, the largest was the uh, Hercules C-130, but that was only done in trials. Right. And they decided they weren't going to do it operationally because I think there was only about a 13-foot uh, separation between the wingtip and the uh, the superstructure. So <laughs> yeah, that's kind of close. Pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Okay, so um, one more story to go then. Uh, if we could pass that to you, please, Nick. Oh, this is lovely because uh, this is this is like what I was doing a few days ago when I was up at Duxford um, meeting with the crew of uh, Betty's Biscuit Bomber, one of the C-47s that had been flown, uh, um, and one of the pilots uh, we know, uh, Nick Kamachka, he was there and showed me around. So it was a great day. So this is a story... Uh, on ABC News and uh, D-Day Squadron, historic airplanes, uh, okay, journey from the U.S. to Normandy for the 75th anniversary. And uh, there'll be a couple of plane tales coming out, hint, hint, all about <laughs> this. So hundreds of spectators gathered in Normandy, uh, France, on Wednesday to watch about 200 paratroopers participating in the Dax Over Normandy event. Interestingly, it was only the British that called it the Douglas Dakota. Uh, The American uh, military version was the C-47. 
Uh, it was organized to reenact the jump made by Allied troops in the aerial assault that preceded the Seaborne invasion on D-Day during the 6th, 1944. So these guys were doing an absolutely vital job because they were the, uh, the tip of the spear. They were the first guys in, and it was their job to locate and capture essential uh, communication lines and uh, isolate uh, batteries that could uh, attack the Navy and this sort of job before the uh, invasion force actually landed. So it was absolutely vital, uh, uh, the job they did. Um, one of the more stunning sights was a 97-year-old U.S. World War II D-Day veteran paratrooper called Tom Rice. 97, isn't that amazing, who parachuted in a tandem jump into roughly the same area that he landed 75 years ago. Well, considering he landed in the dark, he wasn't probably absolutely certain where he was when no. he got down. No. But um, Rice was win with the very, I'm saying this, the very famous and much beloved uh, 101st Airborne Division in 1944. Can't be sure of the exact area he jumped to. There you go. Uh, it was morning, dark there, and, and that was hard going, Rice said. The D-Day uh, jump, I landed standing up for the most part and then went down to my knees and bounced a couple of times because I had so much equipment and I had difficult a difficult time getting out of that equipment. Yeah, when you saw them, they had stuff strapped to their legs. They had uh, packs on their front. They had stuff dangling beneath them. It really was incredible how much gear they had to go down with. Um, great, great, beautiful drive, beautiful jump, beautiful flight. Everything was perfect, he said. One of the most significant dates in modern history, June the 6th, 1944, marks when 160,000 Allied troops stormed the heavily fortified 50-mile coastline of Normandy in France in an effort to liberate Western Europe during World War II. The beach landings were preceded by an aerial assault in which 13,000 American paratroopers from the 82nd and the 101st Airborne Divisions were dropped past our enemy lines. To commemorate the 75th anniversary on Wednesday, just a couple of days ago, the skies over Normandy were filled with meticulously restored Douglas DC-3s and C-47s uh, Dakotas, the same aircraft which carried the men across the English Channel into battle. And uh, uh, Betty's biscuit bomber was amongst them. This time, hundreds of paratroopers outfitted in replicas of Allied uniforms and using World War II military-style parachutes reenacted the drop. And, yeah, they were those old-fashioned round-style parachutes. It really looked fantastic. Mm. Back over Normandy was an event organized to honor the service, the sacrifice of the troops who risked Sorry, risked life and limb to bring about the beginning of the end of the war in Europe. To make this his historic tribute possible, the owners and operators of these World War II era aircraft were flying to France from the US, Canada, all over Europe, and uh, from as far as Australia. On the May the 19th, the American contingent, known as the D-Day Squadron, began its journey from Maine to Goose Bay, Canada. These are the aircraft, not aircraft like this. These are the aircraft that carries these paratroopers and flew during the war, said Eric Zipkin, a pilot and coordinator for the U.S. effort. It's extraordinary to think that 19-year-olds were doing this, and it was just what they did. It's a fitting remembrance of them. So it carries on, but uh, I think we've seen a lot of it uh, in the news over mm. the last few days. It was very inspiring to see these lovely old aircraft, uh, beautifully uh, looked after, 
uh, and many of them, um, you know, have been going since the war and will carry on uh, for a very long time. Certainly, um, Betty's Biscuit Bomber has relatively few hours, and she's had a full inspection and will have a very long life um, mm. as uh, one of these marvellous aircraft. Now, I hope you don't mind, but obviously you, you were saying you were there, uh, obviously at Duxford very recently yourself. We've been putting a couple of the, the lovely photographs that you took, actually. I hope that's okay. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes, oh, well, there she is, Betty's Biscuit Bomb. Yeah, she... absolutely. So, so tell us a little bit about your day then, Nick. Well, I mean, what, 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 was, uh, what was occurring? How, how did it all come about? What, what... Well, Nick Camacho has been in touch with uh, the Airline Pilot Guy show uh, and uh, keeping us uh, up to date with his progress uh, and... Uh, all of that will be told uh, in the plain tales. But basically, they flew all the way across from uh, the States through Canada, through uh, Greenland, Iceland, North and Scotland, and then finally down uh, to Duxford. And there they uh, they flew reenactment flights there uh, and formation flights around. They flew over U.S. military cemeteries in the U.K. And then on in the D-Day reenactment itself, they put their paratroopers all on board. All these guys had flown over. And uh, then they flew across to Normandy. Uh, they... Uh, dropped them uh, over the beaches, went back to Duxford, came back for a second uh, set of uh, drops, uh, and they were dropping over the next few days uh, villages and towns over France where the paratroopers would have dropped uh, for other events because uh, Betty's biscuit bomber was slightly too young to have actually taken part in the D-Day itself, but it, was, it took part in Market Garden, which we well know because there was a movie, A Bridge Too Far, made about it. So it dropped paratroopers during Operation Market Garden and uh, also uh, in the relief of the uh, forces that were entrapped during the Battle of the Bulge. And then it carried on and uh, flew during um, the Berlin airlift. So it was there in some of the most historic uh, um, events in uh, that period of history it really does sound like a, an absolutely must not miss plain tales then i really can't wait to hear it myself actually it sounds it's well uh, i was uh, yeah, i was very um touched by uh, nick's enthusiasm and also uh, sherman the chief pilot of uh, the aircraft uh, chatted to him for a while uh, because he's a phantom pilot Ah, right. Okay. So we had a few phantom stories to share, so that was great. I can fun. imagine. Because we played last week the little chat that you and I had about about the marvellous phantom that we saw at Duxford ourselves when we were there a few Absolutely, weeks ago. Absolutely, yeah. So it was a pleasure to chat to him as well. Well, marvellous. Well, thank you for, for that. Thank you to Armando for sending us the, uh, the military stories for this week. That is where we bring the news in general now to a close. Nick, before we start wrapping up the show, there is a little uh, piece of audio feedback you'd like us to play. Oh, yes, please, if you wouldn't mind. I'd be very grateful. Indeed. Okay, just give us a couple of seconds uh, while we get that loaded. Here we go. Hi, everybody, it's Captain Nick here. Now that all the fuss is over, I'm looking back to my last days at work and the wonderful surprise lunch that was thrown for me, and I wanted to tell everyone how profoundly grateful I was for what they did for me, so please indulge me for a moment. Not only did I have a lovely day, 
I received the most wonderful gift of a model of my three favourite aircraft fins. I want to say an enormous thank you to Nigel Demery, who also did a lot of the organisation, to Adam Spink, who commissioned that fabulous gift, and especially to the generosity of Captain Jeff and the APG crew, Dr. Steph, Captain Dana and Liz, and my friends, David Abbey, Tanya, Tiffany, Myla, Rick Bell, Graham Haley, Phil Davis, Jen, Micah, Dispatcher Mike, who does the Flying and Life podcast, Pilot Pip and Captain Al from the Plane Safety podcast, Carlos, Matt and Nev from Plane Talking UK, and of course my lovely wife Jilly. I know that many of you wanted to join me on a final flight, which would have been a most memorable event for me, and I hope a smooth one for you, but it wasn't to be. Let me assure you, though, that the gift plus the lovely cards and good wishes that I've received have more than made up for that last time in the air. You're all wonderful people, and my heartfelt thanks goes out to every one of you. And just behind him, you can actually see the marvellous piece of artwork that he is referring to. Um, it's uh, it's a truly stunning uh, piece of artwork, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, it's the first time I've ever seen you lost for words, Nick. I'm not going to lie. Uh, well, I, it was such a surprise and uh, such a delightful um, gift to be given and so beautifully made. Mm. Yeah, I was. I, uh, and it's there in pride of place with uh, the phantom pin from uh, um, the airframe uh, Foxtrot, which was the first uh, operational airplane I have the name on. And then there's a Hornet fin uh, from 77 Squadron Royal Australian Air Force. And then obviously um, I wasn't called Scarlet Lady, so I didn't get my name <laughs> uh, onto a version Atlantic uh, A340, but there's a there's a... A fin there, and they all, they stand out in 3D. They, they they look great and beautifully made. So it's, it's something I will treasure forever. We all think of you as the Scarlet Lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we we, we felt very humble. Did we, that. Nev? We felt very humble, didn't we, during our during our time there? Yes, we did, and it was a fantastic day, wasn't it? And uh, Nigel and uh, Julia's organisation was absolutely superb. So it was uh, very nice. That's not what I heard. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were a couple of hiccups, which uh, actually, as it turned out, didn't really matter because it was it was all right. But it uh, was all uh, it was all uh, papered over very cleverly. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was good. It was uh, it was a, it was a lovely time. So um, so uh, on to bigger and better things. Then I presume now. I mean, I'm guessing lots of bowls uh, for you. I don't think you get much bigger and better than a 45-year professional flying career. Oh, come on. But, uh, so, no, I'm, don't I'm, give up well, yet. <laughs> doing what I do with Jeff on the APG is, uh, is, is just wonderful. It'll keep me in touch with uh, my friends in the aviation community, and I love doing it. It's great fun. Uh, doing my little bit of uh, plane tales. Uh, is always a labour of uh, absolute love. I really enjoy that. Uh, and, of course, uh, I actually am looking forward to having more spare time, although I suspect uh, it'll get swallowed up by 
various things because already my calendar is filling up and more and I more. Say, this is the thing you, you're, you're going to look back in six months time and think how on earth did I have time for work I think that that's what's going <laughs> to yeah. happen yeah yeah I was rather hoping I might have the odd afternoon just to sit and you know binge out on Netflix or something right. but that's <laughs> like never happens no, no and I suspect it never will if I'm brutally no, honest probably but, probably so. not yeah. uh, anyway we really should start wrapping up because uh, Captain Jeff I believe there's something coming up very shortly that you guys uh, need to go and do <laughs> yeah when you were saying to nick uh you know now there's something bigger and better coming and good thinking, point oh, yeah wow. he's going to introduce my uh <laughs> our, our live recording uh, yes. the apg apg and, absolutely. Right after this. and there yeah. is nothing bigger and better than apg let's be honest yeah, right. no, <laughs> no, yeah we're going to record our weekly show today you know it varies uh during the week and uh yeah this worked out perfectly yeah, very much looking forward to that. I, I dare say I shall be listening to that whilst I'm uh, uh, having a nap, unfortunately, because I've got to work <laughs> oh, in the morning. Yeah. So it's, uh, yes, well, it's I, the perfect use for the show. Oh, stop yes. it. To be, a lot of people <laughs> use our show for <laughs> yeah. helping them sleep. Yeah, no, well, no, as I say, our, our, our show in particular is actually officially listed by the National Health Service as the only known cure for insomnia. So um, oh. it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a win-win situation. Uh, yeah. uh, Nev, sleep <laughs> indeed, Nev, in the unlikely event that they do want to contact the show, how do they do that? Yes, well, you can do that uh, by sending us an email to uh, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, on Twitter, we are at plaintalkinguk. And we've got some Instagram as well, I believe, I believe now. So, so yes, uh, yes, you can contact us there on plaintalkinguk. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash plain talking uk so in case somebody is somehow under a stone and has never heard of the airline pilot guy jeff how do they get in touch with you well they can head over to airlinepilotguy.com that's our website where we have all kinds of good stuff on it and uh, you can also find us on itunes or wherever great podcasts are served such as the PTUK and uh, <laughs> very good well done also on YouTube our YouTube channels airline pilot guy so anything in the social media world or whatever uh, just put airline pilot guy in there and you'll probably find us absolutely well Nev I think we pretty much got away with that yes I think so <laughs> uh, Hopefully next week I'll be able to take that um, thing off my picture right. uh, behind us as long as we've had good behaviour from British Airways. Right. Okay. Before we go, though, I have just received my silver card from Ooh. British Airways, uh, and I do have a pair of scissors. Right. <laughs> Not so afraid to cut it up, yes. Absolutely. If there's any more funny behaviour this mm. week, then, um, mm. you know, watch out. I, I'm yeah. just wondering how that will hurt British Airways, but <laughs> feel free. <laughs> well, I, could I just point out, it does say on the back of it, this card remains the properties of, of British Airways. So oh, that, right. that's well, there we are. So they, they could. They, they, okay. uh, are we allowed to mention the good news that you've had this week? By the way, um, I think we probably could. Yes, I, I, yeah. I'll be changing jobs uh, later yeah. in the year uh, in September, uh, yeah. which I'm very much looking forward to. Working with some people that I haven't worked with before, but I, I know quite well. Uh, sticking in the world of professional audio, which is great, so that suits me very nicely. Um, what are you doing on this show then? I don't know. <laughs> hey, now come on. <laughs> And um, anyway, on that bombshell, it's time to... <laughs> yes. Just quickly, though, um, on Wednesday of this week, I'll be at the Media Production Show in London. Ooh. So uh, I should be taking my credit card there. Okay. So I can give that some abuse. Um, 
And then on Friday, I shall be at the Aero Expo show at Wickermere Park, which is about 15 miles down the road from me. And I'll be doing some interviews and general chat from there for a play out on a later show. Fantastic. Can't wait to see that. That is where we bring episode number 272 to a close. Thank you very much to the legends that are both captains, Nick and Jeff. Thank you so very much for joining us this week. It's been a real honor, as always, to have you on board. Ah, my pleasure. It was great to be here with you. You're very kind. So uh, we're going to let these guys go because they have their own show to go and do now. So uh, it's time to say goodbye, everyone. Uh, thanks very much. My personal thanks to uh, Owen, who's been in charge of the cameras this week. Uh, nice little round of applause for him, please. Thank you. And uh, we will see you all uh, at some point next week. I don't know when we're doing the show next week yet. Uh, so watch social media for uh, when that's going to happen. But from all of there us... There may never be another. There may never be another one. This absolutely. From all of us, it's time to say goodbye. Say goodbye, everyone. Everyone, bye bye. <laughs> oh, he broke it. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> this is the voice of the mystery. We know you can hear us, Earthman. flight deck the the